Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nina Pantic, joined as always with Irina Falcone. Hey guys, how's it going? Our special guest is WTA pro Sasha Vickery. Sasha, welcome. Hey, hey guys. <laughs> it's awesome to have you here. You're just 25 years old. You've been ranked as high as number 73, currently around 158, uh, winner of three ITF titles. And, you know, you've been Sounding off a lot on Twitter. You've been on at, active on Instagram. We have a lot of stuff we want to cover with you. But first of all, okay. where in the world are you and how has the shutdown been for you? <laughs> I'm actually at home in, in Boca Raton, Florida right now. Um, and it's been really nice. I've, I've gotten to spend time with my family. Um, but I'm kind of at that point where I'm ready to get back out there playing and, you know, practicing normal again. I love being home, which is such a great change. But I've just been trying to train as much as I can. Um, just hit with some girls that are in the area and that's pretty much it. Do you have a coach right now that you're kind of working with? Is it one of those things Mm -hmm. that you're slowly getting back into practice mode or have you already been practicing a lot? Yeah, I have, um, I have a coach I work with. He's, uh, he's French and he's come down here to work with me all the time. Um, and yeah, I've just been slowly getting back into it. I played a couple of exhibitions in Atlanta last month. So I got to kind of, you know, play and have a feel for where I was and, be on court again and play matches. So I've just been doing that. Was it wild without any fans and stuff like that? Was the restrictions the same as kind of what we're expecting, you know, from upcoming tournaments? Yeah, I think it probably is exactly the same. Um, it was really weird and it just felt like I was literally playing a practice match, which is what, which is what it was. It was, you know, very weird. And there was, uh, there was this one umpire, but he was sitting super far away. Um, we couldn't really come that close to each other. We were sitting on opposite sides. Um, so I did kind of get a feel like what it will be in the tournaments coming up. And it was definitely a little strange. <laughs> so one of the things that I've noticed with a few players and um, is their motivation level can kind of mm. go like this. And during the mm. quarantine, it's just been up and down. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like we've been told two months, yeah. two months from now, two months from now. Yeah. What's your motivation been like for the last couple months? Yeah, well, in general, my motivation is a little bit up and down with the hecticness of the tour, uh, just in general. But for the past few months, yeah, I think the hardest part was just, you know, knowing how much I should train, like how much I should do, if I should maybe do less, because then I'll be more fresh when I start playing again or do more, then I'll be, you know, in super good shape. So it's just finding the balance between that. Um, But with no exact kind of start date and no calendar, it's just up in the air. So I'm just doing the best I can, just like everybody is, I'm sure. There's been so many announcements about the tours coming back in August and the U.S. Open has gotten some flack because there's not going to be a qualifying event, at least as mm-hmm. of now in, in June. Everything is changing by the day. But mm-hmm. the initial initial plan is no qualifying. What was your mm-hmm. reaction? Because it's kind of uh, a grossly unfair. Yeah, no, I'll just I'll just speak really freely. Um, I'll just say I think it was a total slap in the face to so many players who depend on playing a slam um, and, you know, that really depend on that, you know, the competition and the prize money and, you know, 
everybody's been going through this rough time, but I just feel like prioritizing um, the top players, which of course they deserve to be there. They deserve to play these tournaments, but I just feel it was just really a hard blow for the players that work so hard to be in qualies. And they really depend on that time of the year for a lot in their career. So I personally think it's, it's a little bit unfair. And I think now I read something where they're allowed to bring th uh, two or three people with them. So that potentially could have been an entire qualies draw if you would have just cut back by one person, each player. So, you know, I'm not, obviously I, I don't really agree with it. And I think definitely a little bit more could have been done for the lower ranked players. I've also been hearing um, a few people talk about how qualifiers are still, if like, if you would have been in qualies, you're mm -hmm. actually going to get a check. Yeah. So yeah. what, what, what is the, what's the amount? Do you know the amount of that check? So I think like the first round qualifying, it's normally maybe 10,500, somewhere around that range. Um, but I've also read stuff where maybe if we don't play, they may um, give us some of the prize money. I'm not really sure how it's going to be. I've just been reading, you know, the WT updates that they email us every week. Um, so I, I think that's the amount, but I'm not really sure about the specifics or what they're planning to do. From a personal level, just mm -hmm. I'm curious, how excited mm -hmm. are you to go back on the tour no, knowing that, you know, there's going to be not only changes um, mm -hmm. day in and day out, but just having the U.S. Open be like, ah, oh, actually no qualifiers. And then the French Open, I think there will be qualifiers. And yeah, we still don't know really an ITF calendar. How yeah. are you excited to go back or does part of you is just like, what the heck is happening? I think, yeah, it's a little bit of a mix of, of, of both. I, I am excited to get back playing, but, you know, like I like I said earlier, it's just we just have no direction, really. I don't know, you know, like there's no ITF calendar, so I don't know if I can start with the lower-level tournaments and then play French Open or if there'll be a warm-up or I don't know what's going to happen. But I think um, I think the WTA, they, they have been doing a good job, you know, trying their best to manage everything. But I think one thing that they've um, kind of lacked was updating the players um, with things going on. Like they're, I feel like they've been very favorable to the higher ranked players and they get information a lot quicker than we do. Like I had to read somewhere on, on somebody's tweet that there wasn't going to be a qualies, you know, before we even got emails. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, they, they start planning for that. You know, they, people need time to plan and prepare to arrange with their coaches, you know, book things. So I think that's one part where definitely um, they should try and do a little bit better. It's certainly a hard challenge. I knew from, I felt from the beginning when they initially canceled the tour, the return would be really hard to figure out and make it fair. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's impossible. It's an impossible ask, but I especially, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not entertained, but it's, Mm -hmm. drawing my attention that certain top players are like, oh, playing without fans is going to be impossible. I'm like, yeah, 50 Ks, 25 Ks. First, you get to play. And most yeah. smaller tournaments, even yeah. from college and juniors and low-level pro tournaments, there's like your mom and your dad and like there's four no fans. Yeah. It's just the reality <laughs> of tennis. Like, I don't think that's an yeah. issue, but the U.S. Open without fans is weird. Yeah, no, it is. And I actually, I took a little bit of heat on Twitter because I, I tweeted something, um, I think Djokovic, he made a statement saying that the conditions were really extreme. And and I was like, well, I mean, normally those top players, they travel with a whole entourage of five, six people. Like if you can just literally cut from like six to three, I don't see what's that extreme about it. And, you know, at least people, at least the qualifying, they'll get to play. At least they'll get to play doubles. You know, there's a lot of doubles players who, again, they don't make a lot of money during the year and they they depend on playing the slams for ranking points and prize money. 
you know, I, I understand, you know, it's a difficult moment and they're just trying to figure out, you know, the right steps. Nothing like this has ever happened before, but I think there has to be a level of, you know, informing these people and giving them accurate information. If it, I mean, if it was a dream world kind of where you were able to maneuver how everything was going to look like, what would you, what would you have it be? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I personally don't think, um, you know, I don't have a problem with playing in front of fans. You know, I've grown up playing in ITF events and lower level events. So it's something I'm used to. Maybe the top players, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit strange for them, but I think they, you know, it's tough to say what they, what they could have could do or do differently, but I definitely think they could have made more of an effort to say, Hey, at least, okay, why don't, you know, with the original plan, why don't the top players just have one person with them in the main draw? And then in that way, that leaves enough room for more people to compete. I think that would have been a very easy solution or uh, worst case, maybe divide um, the qualities in the main draw, maybe have the qualifying somewhere else nearby and, you know, set it up like that. That would have been something else if they were concerned about the amount of people that would be in the same area. Um, but like I said, it's tough to say. I, I know everybody's doing their best, but you know, it, it's tough for everybody. So. Where were you at in terms of like how you're feeling on the court and your career in 2020 when everything stopped in March? Because I know you're ranked in the mm -hmm. 150s. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously very good, but wh how yeah. were you feeling <laughs> at that moment and kind of going into this year, imagining that none of this had happened? Yeah, I actually had a very good start to the year. Um, I tried a different schedule approach and I played some lower level tournaments um, and I did really good in Asia. I made a few semis and I made a final of a 60 in Australia. So I was really starting to build a lot of momentum after I, I was injured last year. I had some tears in my knees and a few other minor things, but I was really starting to feel a lot of momentum and I was starting to get back in that match rhythm, um, you know, getting used to playing every week. So of course, it was really weird when, you know, in Indian Wells, they basically everything was a halt and we just had to book a flight home. And and, you know, obviously with the months off, it's, it's difficult. But but um, but I mean, I'm still I still tried to stay in shape. You know, I still keep up with my practice and my fitness. So it's just managing everything. So from a personal level, I know that you became a homeowner last year. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I did. Congratulations. <laughs> I Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's not it's not easy to be like, yeah, I'm 25. I'm a homeowner. So that's yeah. amazing. Um, so what's that been like? I mean, do you feel like you're an adult now? Like, have you yeah. like gotten to that point where you're like, oh my gosh, I got to pay for pest control. Like what? Yeah. Right. No, in the beginning it was actually, I feel like I had like this whole fairy tale in my head, like, oh, you know, it's just going to be so awesome. Like I'm gonna live on my own. I'm gonna do whatever I want, you know, but you know, I moved in and it was, it was a little bit weird. And I had, you know, I had to start doing everything because normally I'm just like, oh, here, mom, like, can you just do this for me here? Can you pay this for me? And I had to start doing all this stuff uh, by myself, but which is fine because I, I love it. I love being on my own. And and um, that was definitely a big step for me after years and years of hard work to finally be able to invest into something in my future. So, you know, of course I was going to do it and it's been the best thing for me so far. So I'm really happy. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Hey guys, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Sasha Vickery. She's telling us how she's using her social platforms to raise awareness. Keep listening. So speaking of investing in your future, I mean, a lot of players mm-hmm. that we've talked to have like taken classes. They've tried to get into other things that are related to tennis or not yeah. related to tennis. During mm-hmm. this quarantine, have you found anything that kind of excites you? Any hobbies, any new things that you've like, oh my gosh, I'm really good at this or I really love doing this? <laughs> yeah, no, I've actually, um, I've been learning languages a bit. Um, I'm pretty good at French. My dad is French, so I'm like uh, maybe half fluent. So I've been trying to sharpen Um, My French a lot. I've been studying. I've been doing Rosetta Stone. I've been cooking a lot. Um, I have this whole like amazing kitchen and I'm like, you know, I'm never home and I never get to try anything. So I was like, you know, I'll just try to start cooking and try making some stuff. And I've actually kind of perfected it at this point because it's all I've been doing for the past couple of months. So um, it's been nice to just do other things and be normal for a little bit. You can say you've padded up your resume because I want to give you credit. You're one of the first people in March to post your resume on social media oh to be God, like, yo, yeah. I'm seeking jobs. Hire me. Yeah. That was, yeah. I mean, you did it in a funny way, but it was also kind of dark. Like this is, this was real. Yeah. No, low key. I was a hundred percent serious. Like if anybody messaged me, like I would have been doing lessons. I would have been, I don't care feeding somebody, you know, doing drills. I didn't care. I was a little bit serious in that post, but it did take a while for it to really hit me. I think it was like in May where I was like, wow, like we really just don't have a job. Like we, you know, we just, you know, we're just here trying to do the best we can, but we're literally unemployed. And that's like just the the fact of it. Everybody's going through the same thing. But I feel in the beginning, it was kind of like, I didn't know, you know, the seriousness of everything. So I was like, oh, it's fine. Like it'll probably, we'll be back playing by April and, you know, clay court season. Um, I couldn't anticipate it, you know, it would, be, it would have been starting back at US Open. So I think that was kind of the weird thing. Um, but I mean, I guess the most important is everybody, their safety and, you know, just staying healthy. So did you actually get anyone that reached out to you and was like, hey, I'd love a lesson from you? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I got one guy. Um, uh, I, have a lesson, I have a lesson with him tomorrow. Um, he, lives, uh, he, lives, he lives in the area and uh, my best friend who doesn't play anymore. Um, she was like, oh, like if you're really serious about the lessons, I have an older guy. He just wants someone to hit with. So I was like, I'm not working. I'm not making money. So bring him on like anybody else. Like I'm down after my practice. I stay and I, I hit with them for an hour and and, you know, so at least I'm finding more things to fill out my day and at least make some kind of money. <laughs> Have you enjoyed hitting with these people? I mean, I'm, yeah. it's probably something that you're not used to, you know, so yeah. have you enjoyed it? No, I have. Like, it's just different. Like, you know, I'm just on court and I'm just relaxed. And, you know, these other these people, they're just so happy to hit with me. And I'm like happy that I'm actually like relaxed and being able to play. And I've, I've been having so much fun. I've been having a ball. And um, I think and even last week, I... I did a Zoom call um, for, there's basically like a gay tennis league and they've like built this kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a legit like league. And I reached out to, you know, one of the members, they reached out to me. They were like, it'd be so cool if you could do a Zoom call and if one of us can hit with you one day. And I was like, yeah, for sure. And and I actually went on the Zoom and I, and I hit with one of the guys uh, every other day. So it's been really fun. That's awesome. I love hearing that yeah. though. Like the open-mindedness of players is something that's not celebrated enough. Cause you know, it, it, it's, that's something really nice. You did out of your own schedule and you put, put time mm-hmm. out there for someone on the court too. It's not, that's work mm-hmm. for you. That's like payable hours. Yeah, no, that. for sure. I've always been a big um, advocate for that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I, I was just more than happy to do it. So um, I've something actually on 
Twitter and Instagram, anybody that follows me, they know I, I constantly post things about, you know, Gay Pride Month and, and Black Lives Matter movement. I'm very, you know, into, into that kind of stuff and just learning about, you know, everybody. And yeah, it's something I'm just really into. <laughs> you have been especially vocal. I think it's really impressive that during this time, not even during this time, in general, players have really used their social platforms to speak out about everything, be it the scheduling mm -hmm. or be it the Black Lives Matter movement. You posted mm -hmm. a video with your neighbor, Betty, and it was one of yes. the most, I thought the most effective because it was so, I mean, you really just, you laid it out. You know, how did you set yeah. this video up? Is she really yeah, neighbor? No. She lives next yeah. door? Yeah, she literally lives next door. We're like best friends. Like we cook together. We like bake together. Uh, she's awesome. She's like 85. Um, she loves tennis. Um, so yeah, one day I was over there and we were, and she was drinking tea and we were watching a show and I was like, you know, why don't we, I was like, what? maybe there's something I can do or something that I can post that'll kind of make it um, easier for everyone to kind of understand, you know, what's going on because I've gotten a lot of uh, people reach out to me and even some of my closest friends, they're like, you know, we really just want to know, like, what is it like to experience these kind of things? What is it like, you know, to have to go through this? And, and after like kind of explaining, I was like, maybe there's just some, a video that I can do that will just make it really simple. And, and I did it and people loved it. And, and it was really nice of her to do it. Um, but it was, yeah, so it was really cool. You know, speaking about things that you care about and being an advocate for, I mean, I think mm -hmm. that video was very, like Nina said, it was very effective because it's, mm -hmm. it's real. And, yeah. you know, I think people really can understand more when someone speaks about a personal experience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So in, in this, in this case, I mean, is there any personal experience that you'd like to share with mm -hmm. us, with fans that people just should know about you or should mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, um, growing up, I've always, um, you know, whether it's online or, or even, you know, just in my life, I've experienced a lot of um, discrimination, you know, I've been uh, kicked off courts before and told like, I don't belong here and I shouldn't be playing here. Um, that actually happened really recently. Um, and even from when I was younger, I would always get, I get super racist comments online. And, but, you know, luckily, you know, everybody's different and I have a very thick skin, so I can, you know, it doesn't really bother me. And I, you know, in a way I'm just, I just find it kind of laughable, you know, like I have, sometimes I'll finish a match and I have these paragraphs from, you know, people just basically saying how much they hate, how much they hate me. And, and you know, it's really sad because, you know, some people, they really struggle with that and it's hurtful, you know, as much as, as strong as you try to be and, you know, as much as you try to ignore it, it, it is hurtful. It's hurtful. And, and I honestly, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've, you know, I've kind of learned to just, um, it's just something that I'm going to have to deal with. And that's why I try to post as much as I can to try to get people, you know, I, I have white friends who literally were like, is there something like you can just send to me like every day? Like, so maybe I can just see more of what you're talking about. Um, so really, I just try to use any platform I have to, to bring pos more positive, you know, more positive outlook to that kind of stuff. The fact that you are able to laugh about it and it's just like, you know, water off a duck, like it just seems yeah. like you're just very mature and you have thick skin, like you said. Yeah. What would you say to someone that probably doesn't have as thick skin as you or someone mm -hmm. that is affected by it? Mm -hmm. What would what I advice would, would you tell them? I would honestly just say, like, just try to avoid it as much as you can. I know, you know, I'm not saying you just have to, like, hide and run away from it, but I think 
I think it can really start to affect you, you know, when you sit there and you, and you sit on the social media and you just read all the comments and, um, but yeah, I've done it. And I would probably just say to, you know, just, just really just try not to give as much attention to it. If you're somebody that really struggles personally with those kind of things. Um, but that's the best I can say, but everybody's different. You know, some people, they, they can hide from it completely. Some people, they, you know, they want to be more upfront about it. So I guess it just depends on the person, but you know, I would just say not to, not to stress yourself out too much about it. You know, there's always, there's good and bad in everyone, no matter what race you are, no matter, it doesn't matter. There's good and bad in everyone. So <laughs> I still think it's, it's brave to put yourself out there in any way that you've been doing it. You've been making a uh, certain social media, obviously on, on the platforms and stuff, but you also mm -hmm. talked about how it would be brave for a tennis player to take a knee mm -hmm. and, I want to know what it, that would mean to you if someone. I don't. I think you maybe met someone high profile. Uh, what would yeah. What would it mean to you if someone was to take a take a stance, a public stance that big, at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know everybody has different uh, feelings about it. I have some friends who say that they don't believe it, that that's the right way, and you know, I have some friends that say, you know, well, there's a lot of things that have been going on where for you know years and years and years, and people get to a point where they're like where does it end? You know, what do we have to do? You know, when we're silent, you know, nothing's getting done. When we try to protest peacefully, nothing's getting done. Um, so I, you know, I really think if maybe one kind of high profile player was to just, you know, be brave enough to, to accept that and I'm not saying they even have to do it or not, but even just acknowledging it more than anything, or just bringing awareness to it, I think that'll really make a, dif a big difference because they have such a, a big platform and they have such a powerful voice and like you said, over the past few weeks, I've seen a lot of people actually, um, even some friends of mine that I didn't even know that they, you know, they were following like the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff. And they were, they're posting and they're, you know, posting numbers to call for, for you know, racial injustice. So, you know, I think it would be good if somebody with a higher profile can just bring more awareness to it more than anything. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, Irina Falcone here. Today we have WTA player Sasha Vickery sharing with us how she's staying motivated during this shutdown. Keep listening. So I remember I actually, I was watching your match against Garvey Muguruza a couple years ago mm -hmm. at Indian Wells. And yeah. I'm sure you remember this. Yes, the Wakanda the, forever, yes. Yeah, I just <laughs> want to know um, what that means for you and, and like where exactly, obviously I understand that it's from Black Panther, the movie. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, what is what does that mean to you? For me, honestly, I, I think at that time, because um, I think that's the first Marvel movie that they that they did with an all black cast. And, you know, I just thought it was so amazing. Like it was just such a big, you know, just just big progress. And I and I and I didn't plan on doing it. It was just something where I, I was watching the movie so much at the time and I was just so amazed by it. And all of the athletes were, you know, posting stuff about it. And it just had such a positive reaction I literally didn't think about it and after the match I was like wait this is my moment like you know I just <laughs> you know let me take this moment while I while I have it and I and I did and I actually got a lot of positive feedback from it you know 
Um, and then one of the actors in, in the movie, he actually contacted me and he was like, that's so amazing, like that you're, you know, using this platform for what the movie stands for. So that's that's really all it was. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. I was there for that match too. I mean, that was a big, that was a big win. She was a number three in the world. Like that was easily mm -hmm. your best win. And that must've been like such an amazing feeling to, to get that on a big stage as well. Yeah, it was. That was one of the kind of hurdles that I got over um, in my career. You know, I've played a ton of top players before and uh, that was my first top five win. And, you know, that was an amazing year for me. That's when I was at my career high. Um, so, you know, it, it was good and it really, you know, I really proved a lot to myself because I feel like tennis players, um, well, any athlete in general, you kind of have this, I want to say a little bit like a fear, like you, you feel like the top players, they have this, you know, this unbelievable game and they have this, this year, like, man, like, what do they have? Like, do they have like secret sauce? Yeah. What's the secret sauce? Like, what do they, these players have? And then it took that year for me to be like, okay, well, I'm competing with these players, you know, I have a top five win, I have a few top 20 wins. So, you know, you know, why can't I be up there? Why can't I, you know, compete with these girls? So it really showed me that, you know, I have the level and it was just about putting everything together on my side. Did you do anything differently, like with your coach or on the court, anything differently mm -hmm. like that? Or was it just purely mental for you? For me, it was a hundred percent mental. Um, you know, I've had the same game pretty much my entire life you know and uh and obviously I'm always working to add stuff to my game even now I'm I'm changing stuff on my serve and I'm adding more but for me the the biggest thing was just mental and, and the consistency I feel like when I first came on tour I didn't you know I kind of expected it to just be like you know I was a top junior so boom like I'm just going to be like a top WTA player and then that actually took me longer than I anticipated you know playing those lower level tournaments and going through injuries so um, you know, it was just kind of those things where I just had to go through my own path and my own process. And, you know, even though it's taken a little bit longer, I'm still figuring things out and I'm still learning. So you were a phenomenal junior. I remember your name from when you were like <laughs> 11 years old, like crazy young, yeah. you were a top 10 ITF, you were a U.S. champion, like very highly touted. Did you ever consider the college route? And when did you decide to turn pro? Were you very, very young at this point? And how did that decision happen? Yeah, no, I, um... I I've always, since I was young, I just knew I wanted to be professional. It was just my dream to even play a Grand Slam was just like the most unbelievable dream. Um, so I knew that was definitely something I wanted to do. Um, I, to be honest, I, I did think about college at one point, but growing up, my situation was a little bit different. You know, I come from a, a, a single family home. You know, my mom, she was working three jobs at one point to put me through tennis. Um, and you know we we went through a lot of hard times, and I had to I had to go through that to get to where I'm at now. But um, I think the biggest thing was I knew playing professional I can make a career out of that a lot earlier. Like I knew I'd be making money, and I knew I'd be able to support my family had I started that earlier. So as much as I wanted to start, you know, as much as I I've always you know a lot of my friends are they're they're in college, and you know they always tell me how amazing it is. And a part of me it's like man, like I wish I would have you know, taking that route. But I think at that stage in my life, I was, you know, I had a bigger purpose and that was to, you know, play and not just for myself, for my family. Well, well yes, for myself one, but, you know, just for my family and basically pay everyone back for the sacrifices they made for me. So this is a question that I've been asking quite a few players. And, you know, you, you talked about how you were a junior player and mm -hmm. you were a phenomenal junior player and it took you a while to get into that pro-life yeah. and you know really cement yourself down 
yeah there's going to be a lot of moments where you're going to feel like maybe this is not for me maybe yeah. I should quit I've had maybe. it trust me yeah we've <laughs> all me. had it we've all had it you know we've all had moments yeah. of doubt what makes you keep going what makes you keep playing come out at like year after year and grind out and go travel mm-hmm. to China and Asia and all these places what what's your why Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I've had I've had dark moments in my career, like everybody, you know, I've had, I've had patches where I'm kind of like, man, is this something I really want to do? You know, do I just want to, you know, <laughs> do I just want to be happy and kind of just be like a regular person? And you know, I've had I've had, oh, my God, I can't even tell you how many times I've lost matches. I'm like, that's it. I quit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not touching the racket again. And, and you know, like, I keep coming back. And, and I think what's kind of worked for me, um, in the past year or two, it's, you know, I kind of think back to when I was younger and I'm like, why did I start playing tennis? You know, I started playing because I didn't think about anything extra. I just loved it. I loved picking up a tennis racket and I loved being on the court. So for me, in order to keep going, I had to find, okay, like, well, why am I doing this? And I think back to, okay, well, this is why I, you know, this is a sport I love and, and I've wanted it since I was five years old. And I think back to me playing in my public park, just having an amazing time. And that's what helps me kind of stay mentally, you know, under control. <laughs> how, awesome. how did your mom get you into tennis? Was it her? Or was it your own natural progression? Because I understand that she's from, she's from um, Guyana, Guyana. Yeah. She grew up there and then moved to Florida or America and then had you like, what was that her step? Because that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, um, she actually came uh, to America as an immigrant. Um, you know, she built everything from basically the bottom up. She's from a very poor country, um, a very poor country in South America. And, you know, she came here just looking for a better life. She wanted more opportunity. Um, and, you know, ever, ever since we were younger, we, we had such a great childhood. And um, I basically started playing tennis by complete accident. So I was at the store one day with my grandma and I saw one of those like um, paddle volleyball kind of rackets. And I was like, oh, like, can you get that for me? And I got it. And I started hitting against the wall, like at my house. And, and I figured out I got really good. Like after some time, I was like, wow, I have like good coordination and, and I will never forget it. So I completely shattered my mom's bedroom window. Uh, she had like a massive bedroom window and, uh, and it completely shattered. And she still talks about it to this day. And she's like, oh my God, you know, this is crazy. Like I'm gonna pay for this. She's like, I'm done. You're going to tennis lessons. You're gonna go somewhere and play um, out in the open. And then that's literally how I started by complete accident and disaster. So <laughs> that's the that's like the cutest story I've ever heard. Yeah. And then oh like people, turns people in, don't believe it when I tell it, but it's literally true. And then it turns <laughs> into like literally one of the best juniors ever. Like it just it's incredible how people can come from anywhere and be so good at tennis. And I love that. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's you know, everybody is for everybody and what's meant to be will be. So I've always taken that approach. <laughs> Girl, you're so mature. Your mom like, was so proud. You speak. I'm like, I don't remember being this mature at 25. Was I? I've taken growth. I've come a long way. It is, you know, I've come a long way. Trust me, this is a this is a practice, you know, kind of thing. That's right. I, I mean, I think I, I've known you what over 10 years now because yeah. I, I saw you when you were just starting out, and I was starting out too. And I mean, you you were killing it. And yeah, still are. No, I was. yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. thank you. Us 5'4 girls got to stick together. We got to stick together. Arena, you, you are know, not 5'4. Fun four. size, we got to keep it keep it together, you know? Yeah. Arena, I agree. <laughs> Arena's 5'3. <laughs> yeah, I'm 5'4 on, on a good day. I'm 5'3 and a half, but I give I round it to 5'4. So That's fine. what I'm talking about. I do I'm love that too, though, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone always <laughs> talks about all these tall people. You guys are crushing it under 5'5. Five five. 
yeah no it's not easy but hey make it happen it can be done absolutely <laughs> all right sasha look this has been incredible i really enjoyed talking with you i know irina has yeah. enjoyed catching up it's, it's been, been an so honor. much fun Oh my God. No, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm so glad anytime I have a chance to talk about, you know, anything going on, any of these issues and outlook on the tour and all that. So I'm really happy. Well, we appreciate you using your platform and social media and hopefully this podcast to keep getting, you know, people interested and informed. So thank of you course, for that. And thanks course. for taking the time. Thank you guys. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, Producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley. And executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.